setting up a goal that allows you to build this self-efficacy and keeping that in mind is really, really important. So when you're thinking about like, okay, this is, let's say, yeah, I want to lose 10 pounds. Okay, cool. So with that, you know, what are the barriers that are going to come up? What are the obstacles? What are the challenges that you know you're going to have to face? And then already start to think about what you might do in those situations or how you need to set up your environment differently, the conversations you need to have with people in your life to make sure that like you can keep working towards your goal when those barriers arise, because they're going to. So there needs to be a little bit of like acceptance involved here, but that doesn't mean you can't like plan for them as well. Welcome to Make Bank with Marie Wold. I'm Marie, and for the last decade, I've been helping women set and hit unrealistic goals while building their definition of a rich life. This podcast is your ultimate destination for unfiltered discussions about personal development, entrepreneurship, wellness, confidence, wealth building, relationships, and so much more. We're creating our dream lives together, and I'm so glad you're here. Now let's jump into today's episode. Hello, hello. Your girl is back from her long trip to Kentucky that I talked to you about in the last episode and the horse show hangover is real. (laughs) So since I make the rules, Perks being a CEO, I'm easing back into work over the next couple days with just like slow mornings, lots of dog cuddles, low expectations, which is honestly kind of hard for me sometimes, and really focusing on the parts of business that are fun and feel good. And I also strategize my calendar in advance so that I have minimal meetings, no client calls for a few more days, etc. just to slowly rebuild the momentum, get back into the groove and create space to rest and just kind of reset post trip. Even though I can work on the road, it's just not the same. And I always need a hot second to kind of get back up to full speed. And I found that I do not do well going from zero to a hundred or even like 50 to a hundred back to back, like just like that. So if you're the same way, give yourself a permission slip to take it slow, okay? Especially if you're an entrepreneur, you get to make your own rules. So don't you dare make it wrong that, you know, you need to take a beat sometimes. You got to ease in sometimes. That is totally fine, not wrong, and that's the way that I have to operate. Anyway, this is actually a perfect segue because while we are gearing up to record a bunch of new interviews and solo episodes for the pod, we are bringing back a super juicy interview I did with Casey Orvitas where we go deep into the psychology and human behavior around motivation and setting and hitting goals, which, you know, we're all about here. So whether it's business goals, health goals, financial goals, personal development goals, there is absolutely a method to making them stick. And Casey does such a good job making the advice super actionable, which we always love. And Casey not only holds a PhD in psychology, but she's also a highly successful certified health and fitness coach and has built a really cool mindset coaching certification. So it's pretty epic that she's just sharing some of her best insights with us in this episode. I can't wait to hear your big takeaways. So let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Grind and Be Grateful podcast. I am so glad you're here. Today, we have an interview for you with special guest Casey Orvitas, and we have the most 
interesting topic at hand. We're going to dive into mindset and the psychology behind mindset, habit change, health behavior, and also how to be the best coach possible. So we have a lot of things to talk about. A little bit about Casey. She holds a PhD in psychology and is a certified health and fitness coach. Her expertise is in mindset and health behavior change. So she has transformed hundreds of lives and minds in her coaching career while also being published in multiple peer-reviewed scientific journals for her research, exploring the relationship between our mindset and our health and fitness behaviors. So after finding so much success within her own health and fitness coaching business, she's also created an accredited certification program teaching other coaches how to effectively use mindset to create habit change and lasting results for their clients. So safe to say she knows her shit and this is going to be an epic conversation. So Casey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Hopefully I can live up to the intro you just gave me. (laughs) I mean, I'm pretty confident that you will. You have so much experience, so much expertise and all of the acronyms, all of the credentials after your name to back it all up. So I know it's going to be great. So I definitely want to jump into the nerdy stuff and the actionable takeaways that I know we both love. But before we do, I just want to catch everyone up to speed with you in case this is their first time meeting you because you've landed in a really cool specialty. Like I know this is probably a tough ask, but can you try to give us a quick synopsis of how you got into both the health and fitness field and then more specifically how you've become an expert in psychology and mindset within the industry and just in general? Yeah, definitely. So I think from the health and fitness perspective, I'm not super unique in that I kind of fell in love with strength training. I was a previous cardio bunny in college and fell upon bodybuilding.com and all of the forums there and J.B. Eason, Amanda Latona, all of those women I just started to really look up to and was like, okay, what is this strength training stuff? I need to figure out how to work out on my own because similar to you, I played volleyball all through high school. I didn't play in college, but I was an athlete year round with volleyball and that kind of took care of the fitness side of things. And I didn't pay attention to nutrition in high school. So I started to kind of figure out, I didn't want the whole freshman 15 things of that nature, but just started running and doing circuit training and following. I think there was some app from Nike that I would follow (laughs) at the gym and just do random circuit workouts with, but eventually kind of picked up on, okay, it's not just about calories. It's making sure that you're getting enough protein too, and timing your carbs around your workout and starting to learn all of that stuff and really just got into it and started to notice how it would show up in other areas of my life too. It was helping me with structure and dedication in other areas too, and making me feel more confident and empowered and all of this stuff. And I was just like, why are more people not doing this, especially women? So we all know too, Knowledge just simply is not enough. So telling people that they should exercise and eat healthy clearly is not working. (laughs) We still have an obesity epidemic on our hands here. So I was in school at the time for psychology and was actually originally interested in forensic science and criminal psychology, but was building this budding passion for health and fitness on the side. And when it came time to think like, okay, what do I really want to do with my degree? Where do I want to go with it? I was thinking to myself, everybody and their mom loves NCIS and true crime and all this stuff. I'm not unique. And then like that path sounds interesting, but not everyone is as passionate about health and fitness. So I was like, okay, how could I blend these two things? And of course there's tons of fields within health psychology experimental psychology, social psychology, behavior change, all of these things. Like psychology is great because it's extremely broad. So me changing kind of my idea of a career path was not all that 
difficult within psychology. So that's when I kind of thought, all right, so what would grad school look like? What are the programs that might be available for me in this combination of health and fitness and psychology? And that's when I came across a program at North Carolina State University. It was a social psychology program. And for those of you who aren't like super in the know when it comes to PhD interviews, it is essentially like a job interview process and you are interviewing to work with a specific faculty member. So there was a professor there who was doing work on mindset, which I at the time was like, I don't know if that's super important. I don't know anything about it. I didn't know there was a science of mindset to begin with, but she was looking at all different areas within mindset specifically obesity and health behavior change. And I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. I applied there. I came here. I'm still in Raleigh (laughs) to this day, but came here, fell in love with the city, fell in love with her, fell in love with her work. And from there kind of grew my passion and really understood how important mindset was for health behaviors. And so that's what I spent all my PhD research looking at was growth versus fixed mindset and how that plays a role in how healthy we eat and how often we exercise. And during grad school too, I was really interested in getting more into the application of everything as well. So I was doing the research and obviously the goal is that you publish research and then someone picks it up and actually applies it. But unfortunately we we don't always know. So I was like, I really want to do this in the real world too. So in addition to getting my PhD, I also became a fitness and nutrition coach. So I was kind of doing that sort of side hustling through my degree and you don't make a lot of money being a PhD student. So it was kind of nice to have that little extra income. And I never really anticipated that turning into what it, but yeah, when it came time to graduate with my PhD, I interviewed at a couple different places, thought that I wanted to do industry research. Now, oh, it'd be super cool to work for Nike and be on like their behavior change team or something like that. I did have some pretty cool opportunities with very well-known companies, but kind of got the corporate runaround from a couple of them and kind of left hanging for a long period of time and was like, you know what? I have this little business that I have never, ever given any attention. I wonder if I could just cultivate that for a little bit, give it a little TLC, see what happens. I can always fall back on my PhD and become a professor or do whatever, go into industry and do research there if I want to. So I kind of took a chance on myself and Here we are almost two years later and things are going awesome. I'm very excited I made that decision. It was probably the best decision I've ever made in my life. And yeah, today my business is kind of half and half one-on-one health and fitness coaching. I have a few assistant coaches on my team to help me out with that. And then the other half is coaching other coaches through that health mindset coaching certification that you were mentioning. And I do some mentorship with coaches one-on-one after that as well. So yeah, that's where we're at. So cool. I had a similar, I don't have my PhD, but I had a similar experience graduating college where I could have gone the corporate route and I had the job offer in front of me with all the benefits and the relocation package and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I've been like part time building this business and it's going well. Like, what if I just go all in? And it has served me so well. So I totally hear you on that. Even though it was scary and felt like leaving the path that I was supposed to be on, it was the best move possible. Everyone was like, you're going to just go on your own. You have a job offer. What do you mean? And I would just bet on myself instead. And it's paying off. So that's great. Absolutely. My parents are over here like, oh, so you got a PhD in psychology and now you're a fitness coach. Good job, Casey. <laughs> like, nice. They just have no idea. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I definitely feel that. So I'm really curious, as you were doing your research, and 
applying it to your own journey, right? Because you were also on your own health and fitness journey. And I'm sure you were also treating yourself as a case study. What results were you starting to see as you started being able to harness all the mindset principles and psychology principles that you were learning about? A lot of it was sort of like looking back because at the point where I was really starting to understand mindset and research it and go through this process of realizing how important it is from not even knowing that it was a thing. I had already at that point probably been like five years into my quote unquote fitness journey at that point. So it was more or less like retrospective kind of perspective taking. So I would look back and think how is my mindset maybe tied to kind of getting through those early stages of all of my friends were still binge drinking like Thursday through Sunday, but I was getting up and going to the gym and going to bed early and taking care of myself and doing things of that nature. So I think a lot of the times when I would have what I would consider setbacks or get negative comments from friends, or it's, it's usually not directly negative, right? They're like, oh, like, can't you just live a little and hang out with us and things like that? And I'm like, oh, yeah, right, exactly. The backhanded kind of stuff. So when I would have those, I think, Looking back, this is where my growth mindset really would kick in because it was less about like, oh, they're not necessarily coming at me or any setbacks are not necessarily evidence that I can't do this. It's just like, okay, how do I need to do it differently next time? How do I need to have a different strategy or adjust for that or see other people's quote unquote feedback, if that's what we want to call it as like, okay, that's not necessarily a reflection of me. It's just probably a reflection of themselves or whatever it may be. And I wouldn't let it get to me and whether it was setbacks, whether it was feedback or whatever. So looking back, I'm like, okay, that's probably why I was able to kind of get through some of those tougher times and keep pushing. And honestly, I was so excited to leave Minnesota and move to North Carolina because it was like, this was my opportunity to find more people similar to me and kind of have that fresh start. So I think I always had that sort of like on the horizon, eventually I'll find my people who understand and are like me and etc. So that's all growth mindset oriented thinking. I was going to say you already had the growth mindset without realizing it. Exactly. And I do think it's interesting because the question I had going through college and kind of experiencing health and fitness showing up in my life so positively was like, how are more people not doing this? It's not an education problem. Like I was saying, it's gotta be something psychological. There's something holding people back or making them perceive things differently or assign meaning to things differently. And that's essentially what mindset is. Very broadly, it's the lens that you take to assign meaning to things and make sense of situations and all of that. So really the answer to the question a lot of times is someone's mindset. Of course, there's a lot of other things that play why people might not go to the gym or eat healthy. But from a psychological perspective, it seems like mindset's a big one. Yeah, so I know that there are a lot of different facets to mindset and different kind of like buckets of mindset blocks or mindset struggles. So if you had to narrow it down from just mindset to something more specific, what would you say is the reason why so many people fail at the goals that they set? Is it because they're setting the wrong goals to begin with? Is it because a certain mindset block is coming up? What have you found both as a coach and in your research and helping other coaches is a common thread? Yeah, definitely. I think underlying, and this is me being kind of biased as the mindset researcher that I am, but underlying, I do think the biggest issue is not recognizing that you do have a fixed mindset. I think a lot of people assume like, oh, I read the personal development books. You know, I listen to the Grind and Be Grateful podcast. I do all of these things. I must have a growth mindset. 
But when push comes to shove or you receive feedback from other people, like actual feedback, constructive criticism or something like that, and you automatically feel defensive or you need to justify your actions or you see the success of other people and are very, very jealous of them and automatically start to make up reasons why they are successful and you cannot be. Those are all aspects of a fixed mindset that people don't even realize are there and will absolutely hold them back. So I think it's not only just the fixed mindset, but also that people aren't aware that they have a fixed mindset in the first place. So that's kind of really step one if you want to shift towards more growth, but you also have to be open and willing to realize, hey, maybe I don't have a growth mindset to begin with. Yeah, it's interesting. All of the examples are red flags for fixed mindset. I feel like all of those are very tied to ego as well. If you get feedback or criticism from someone or you're failing, the ego takes that as something super, super negative and you almost have to bypass that ego response to really be able to have the growth mindset. And I don't know, that was just an observation that I think I knew, but the way that you just described it made it really, really obvious. And I love finding little parallels like that. Yeah. And you know, it does make sense because people who have a fixed mindset and you can have a fixed mindset in one area and a growth mindset in the other. So it's not this global thing. You have it or you don't type of thing, but having a fixed mindset in a certain area essentially makes you tie that area to who you are as a person. So what happens is when you're receiving constructive criticism, you're receiving feedback, or you're seeing people be successful in that area that you're maybe having some insecurities around. It's not that you feel like they're attacking your methods for doing things or that someone else, you're just outwardly jealous of someone else. It's that you're feeling like it is an attack on yourself. So because you've sort of internalized, this is about me and my abilities. And if you have a fixed mindset, you don't necessarily think that you can change yourself or change your abilities. Then it becomes like, okay, well, you're not just giving me constructive criticism on, you know, the strategy that I use or how I went about doing this. You're giving me criticism on who I am as a person at my core. So again, most people don't realize that that's where it's coming from, but it does make sense that you make that tie to the ego because it is kind of, that's exactly what happens is that people with a fixed mindset end up tying it just so internally to who they are, that that's why they feel the need to get defensive or make up justifications or rationalize situations is because they don't want it to be like, oh, there's something wrong with me, essentially. And I mean, it does feel vulnerable to take ownership of your failures or any feedback you're getting or any sort of judgment you're receiving or internalizing and processing the comparison that you're experiencing. It does feel very vulnerable to explore those things and actually address them instead of just bypassing them. And it hurts either way. You know, it's uncomfortable either way, whether you let your ego take over and you're offended or have the fixed mindset and just defend that position. And it's also uncomfortable to process all of it. But the difference is like, if you can process it and like not let ego take over and have the growth mindset, you actually end up in a better place. So the uncomfortability it has a reward instead of just being upset than ending up in the same place. Absolutely. Something I say all the time is that discomfort breeds growth, right? So like what you were saying is you can be uncomfortable and feel attacked and get nothing out of it, essentially. Or you can feel uncomfortable and learn from it and move forward from it and get better from it. It's like, wouldn't you rather the the 
the former, no, the latter. <laughs> Wouldn't you rather the latter than the former? So yeah, but it does take, it's just like, it's kind of like meta, but you almost need to have a growth mindset about your mindset in those situations too. And you need to have a growth mindset about being uncomfortable that it doesn't necessarily mean it's something bad and that there's something wrong with you. It means that like, okay, I might have to push through this or I, I have to stay uncomfortable in order to reach the next level type of thing. Right. It's part of the process instead of a sign that you're going the wrong direction or a sign that you should stop. I think both fitness and, you know, the saying like everything is everything, like fitness, entrepreneurship, relationships, personal growth, it's all the same in terms of wherever there is discomfort, there's growth. And I think fitness was probably the first place that I ever really could practice that. And it has served me so much in every other area of my life. The whole everything is everything idea I found to be so true. That's why I think strength training for women, this could go on a whole different tangent, but strength training for women can be so important just from a mental health perspective and a mindset perspective, because it's kind of like getting uncomfortable in the gym and, you know, learning things for yourself and getting truly physically stronger. Like that can show up in so many other areas as well, which I know is exactly what you're referring to as well. So yeah, super, super important. Yeah. All of this is so, so interesting. So do you have stats on how frequently people fail at the goals that they set? I'm sure there are numbers on this. I know there's for sure numbers on New Year's resolutions, but like what percentage of people fail at the goals that they set? You know, I saw you tossed me this question beforehand. I was like, you know what? I don't really know if there are any global stats as far as this goes, just because in research, we have to get pretty specific with what we're looking at, right? Which is why we all know the New Year's resolution stuff, because, hey, everybody's setting goals during that time, you know? So that's a great way to be like, okay, let's get a hold of these people who are setting goals. Otherwise, it's kind of hard to even do that kind of work. I'm sure that there's some out there, but then it's always going to be context dependent, goal dependent, person dependent, that sort of thing. Like same thing for habits, right? Like they say, you know, it takes 21 days to make a habit when in reality, the average is really closer to like 66 days, but the range is like 18 to like 215. <laughs> so it's going to be probably be the same exact thing. It's just like way too nuanced in order to have a specific there, but obviously there's better ways to go about goal setting and how to set your life up for that to ensure success to some degree. Obviously having a growth mindset is a great way to do that, <laughs> but there's plenty of other options too. For sure. I just quickly did a quick Google, of course, and this is, who knows if this is a good source or not. So I take this with a grain of salt, but it said only 7% of survey participants stuck to all of their resolutions and 19% kept some, but not all. So, and I think we've all probably personally experienced this at some point where you have just really lofty goals and you set goals in this super like motivated, like high energy place. And then like reality sets in or like you have a mindset block or other people start falling off. And it just seems like if someone actually sticks their New Year's resolution, they're like a unicorn. Like it's just normal to fall off your resolutions. I know that's a specific example, but like zooming out, I would say a lot of people experience goal setting that way as well. So I wanted to dig in more to goal setting because you recently made a super interesting Instagram post about how we can do it the right way and set ourselves up for success. So tell me more about your thoughts on SMART goals, like the SMART goals versus your preferred approach which is smarter goals. So like, why is the E and the R so important? What do they stand for? And I guess just break down what smart goals are in case people aren't familiar. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my God. This post was like 
one of my best performing posts ever. And I was so surprised. <laughs> it was like one of those, just like you put together like a, what seems to be like a very basic, like swipe through post. You're like, eh, this will probably do all right. And it's also something that I've been teaching to my like students, my coaches that go through my program for a while now. So I'm like, this is just like something just going to throw it up there. And yeah, people loved it. But I think it's, I mean, it is a little bit like risque if you're going against smart goals, which has been around forever. I'm sure the majority of people listening to this are like, yeah, I know smart goals. I learned that in kindergarten, you know, but yeah. So the basic framework of the OG, like smart goals is specific, measurable, attainable, realistic and time bound. So I don't have an issue with all aspects of this model. I swapped out a few of them and then added a couple more. <laughs> so with specific, I do like that. I think a lot of people do go into goal setting thinking like, I want to build a healthy lifestyle. It's like, great. <laughs> that sounds awesome. And sure. I'm sure Exactly. What does it mean? So you got to break it down a little bit more, get a little bit more specific and set like specific goals based on that sort of overarching theme that you're looking for. So I like that one. We'll keep that. M is for measurable. I absolutely agree with that too. What you measure, you can improve. It's hard to know, you know, same with you can even take this to like strength training. Like you don't necessarily know you're improving and making progress, especially when we're talking like progressive overload, unless you're really tracking it and paying attention and things like that. So having some sort of system to measure that goal is going to be important as well. Otherwise you don't really know if you're getting better, or you're going in the right direction or not. So I'm cool with those where I do get kind of hung up on and swapped out as the last three letters. So instead of attainable, and realistic, which I do feel like those are just redundant to begin with. Right. They were like, we need it to be a word. So <laughs> exactly. So they already feel a little bit redundant, but especially like from the health and fitness space. And honestly, when it comes to like entrepreneurship as well, if you're always, always, always only setting goals that are attainable and realistic to me, it's so many people, again, have this fixed mindset that they don't realize exists that is holding them back. Now they're operating from that fixed mindset to set attainable and realistic goals. I'm like, they're going to end up sending all their time creating these goals that are just like not reaching or striving for anything. And one of the, one of the examples I use in this post, and it's definitely an extreme, but thinking of people like Steve Jobs or Michael Jordan, do you think that they like sought out like the most realistic and attainable goals all the time. Like, absolutely not. You know, it's like, there needs to be a little bit of like, shoot for the stars. Like, of course, I don't want people to be setting like, oh, I want to lose 100 pounds in three months type of goals. Let's not get super unrealistic about it. You might need to feel uncomfortable in order for you to really like build these skills and develop these things that you need to to keep moving forward. So with that said, especially from the health and fitness space, we have research that shows that unrealistic expectations of weight loss is not even the greatest predictor of like successful weight loss and maintenance overall. So it's like, why are we even worried about it then? Like let people set their goals. So instead of attainable and realistic, I'm trying to make sure I'm like getting all the letters correct here. I have additive instead of attainable. So there's some research behind this as well, that like when we're kind of pursuing goals that are adding to our lives or we're adding things to our lives rather than like perceiving it as taking away, that can be super, super helpful. So I added that one in. And then instead of realistic, I have rewarding. So you want it to be personally rewarding to you. And this taps into research on intrinsic motivation versus extrinsic motivation. So you're wanting to set goals that are motivating for you personally. Like I 
want to go to the gym because it makes me feel most like myself or allows me to have the energy that I need to show up for my love. That's the good stuff. So like finding a goal that is kind of really personally like meaningful to you is very important. So that's the R. So that's what coaches always mean when they're like, know your why or find your why. And that's why my clients get so annoyed when I'm like, okay, you want to make $100,000 this year. Why? 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 Why is that important to you? Why does that matter? How is that actually going to change your life? Why is that number the one that you picked? And they're like, oh my God, fine. And then we figure out why that number is so important because it's the same thing with fat loss. And I did that as a fitness coach too. Like, why do you want to lose 10 pounds? Why did you pick that number? And they're like, I don't know. It just sounds good. That's not enough. Like that's not rewarding. And then when things get hard, like just losing 10 pounds, isn't like important enough or rewarding enough in itself. You got it. Exactly. And that's so true. We hear that all the time is like, find your why. And what's cool is that we do have like research to back up why finding your why is important. So the last one is time-based. And the issue I have with this is again, like very specific to, I mean, like health and fitness entrepreneurship, they're like always the same thing. Um, (laughs) It's the same. Um, Everything is everything, right? So time-based when you're looking for like weight loss goals or body composition changes, things like that. If you're like, okay, in six months from now, I want to have lost 15 pounds and gain five pounds of muscle and look exactly this way. Sure. Like life might throw you some curveballs. We might have a global pandemic upcoming, like all of these things happen. So we can't necessarily always put like a timeline on those types of things. And like, sure. I'm all for having deadlines for yourself and like setting goals, like quarterly goals or something like that, where you do have a little bit of a timeline. So I switched time-based just for timely. So instead of like always needing like, okay, by this time I'm going to do this, especially again, from a health and fitness perspective, like we don't really always know how your bodies can respond to things. We might need to try different strategies and figure out what works best and don't need anybody to be disappointed at the end of three months when they haven't lost those hundred pounds that they were looking to lose. So I like timely instead, just because it's a little bit of a different look on things and how you are essentially checking out where are you right now? Where do you want to go? You know, what does that need to look like? Make sure it's not extremely unrealistic and just kind of also taking a look at your other aspects of your life. You know, what is coming up for you at work? Like, how are your relationships looking? All of these things. If you're under like a ton of stress, maybe your sister's getting married, you're moving, like you have a new puppy, all of these things. Like you have some relationship turmoil and you're like, I want to start a diet. I'd be like, no, (laughs) that is not a timely goal because it just does not make sense given the amount of other stress in your life right now. So that's where I make that little shift. And it's not to say that, hey, if you're getting married and you have a specific date that you like want to look a certain way, by all means, strive for that. But I do think we put just way too much pressure on specific like dates that we get things done by a lot of the time, especially in the health and fitness world. And it doesn't necessarily work that way all the time. I totally agree. And there's a season for everything, but it's not at the same time. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you can absolutely do it all and give everything 100% at some point, but you can't give 100% to 100 different things all at once. And I'm sure like how many times have you had like a launch planned or something, or you wanted to have something done by a certain time and you're like, no, there's no way I need like a whole nother quarter. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And you're like, oh, all of these other things are like, off the rails right now. This is just not going to happen. Like you have to be a little bit flexible about the path. I don't think you always need to be flexible about like scrapping the goal, but it might have to wait or you might have to approach it a little bit differently. So I love that. 
especially in a culture where people get so tied to like no excuses. Like there's no reason why you should ever like mess up or ever miss a goal. That's just not realistic because life happens. And like we've seen a lot in the last year and a half, but like life is one giant plot twist anyway. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So move the goalposts instead of just like trashing the whole idea together. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Okay. So there's still two more, right? You got it. Yes. So in the original smart framework, it's not smarter. I've made it smarter. So I added the E and the R um, and E is for efficacy. And this is specifically talking about self-efficacy and self-efficacy is this concept within psychology that even in the face of barriers and obstacles and setbacks towards your goal, you're able to kind of continue on. Super, super, super important, obviously, as you can see, for goal setting and pursuing those goals and being successful with those goals. So kind of setting up a goal that allows you to build this self-efficacy and keeping that in mind is really, really important. So when you're thinking about like, okay, this is, let's say, yeah, I want to lose 10 pounds. Okay, cool. So with that, you know, what are the barriers that are going to come up? What are the obstacles? What are the challenges that you know you're going to have to face? And then already start to think about what you might do in those situations or how you need to set up your environment differently, the conversations you need to have with people in your life to make sure that like you can keep working towards your goal when those barriers arise because they're going to. So there needs to be a little bit of like acceptance involved here, but that doesn't mean you can't like plan for them as well. So like making sure that self-efficacy is just kind of at the forefront is super important. And as you build that, as you make it through those barriers and setbacks, obstacles, whatever, you are building more self-efficacy and just your general like confidence around your ability to do things and things will get easier because of that as well. And of course it can be uncomfortable, but that's where you get the skill development and all of the good stuff out of it too. Yeah, I think that is one of the many reasons why a lot of people struggle to follow through is like they set goals when they're feeling super motivated and like things are calm or like a bunch of other people are doing it with them or like, you know, circumstances are ideal or ideal-ish and like that's when they go for the goal and set the goal and set all their expectations and then once shit hits the fan or something gets hard, like that was not in the plan. Like they made the plan with an idealistic idea of like how it was going to go without planning for all the obstacles in the way. So I think I love that addition. That's like so overlooked. Definitely. I agree. That's why I put it in there. (laughs) And then the last one is R for reverse engineering. So this kind of plays into a lot of the other ones we've already talked about, but it's essentially, okay. So thinking about like that long-term outcome goal that you are striving for. And a lot of times what people will do is kind of just stop there, right? Because it feels good to just be like, oh, I want to do this thing, or I want to look this way, or I want to make that $100,000 this year, or whatever it may be. Like that feels really good in the moment. That's the positive visualization side of things that can make you feel truly like we have research on this too, that like visualization or like positive thinking can be really helpful when it comes to like anxiety or depression or any of those things. But it's not the greatest when you're actually wanting to like work towards a goal. So it can be good, but then you also have to put in the work to kind of, like you were saying before, make sure you determine like what barriers are going to come up, obstacles, et cetera. So reverse engineering is essentially just exactly how it sounds. And I'm sure you all have used this like concept or term in your lives at some point, but like looking at that long-term outcome and then working backwards to like where you are now, what does that kind of look like? Can you set some like small goals along the way? Because we also know 
from the research on goal setting and goal pursuit, that hitting those like small wins along the way to build that self-confidence, to build that self-efficacy is really important instead of just always focusing on like that long-term outcome, which we tend to do. It's like, what do people say? Write it on a sticky note and put it everywhere so you can always see it. It's like, no, let's actually reverse engineer it a little bit and pick out that first small goal that you want to hit at the end of this week instead of this $100,000 goal that you want to hit at the end of the year. So kind of like reverse engineering, picking out those small wins along the way and then going from there. For sure. I'm always talking about how momentum is everything. And I think it's so easy to feel stuck or it's easy to feel like you're not actually moving forward when that finish line is so far away. If you've ever like hiked to the top of a mountain or something like the top looks like it's so far away for so long, like it never gets closer. And that's how it feels with goals. But if you're like, okay, I'm just going to hike to that next like mile marker or whatever, like those come up fast and you get those quick wins. And it feels like you actually can get an accurate sense of your momentum. So I'm all about the small goals. And like, even if my clients, they want to have the six figure year, it's like, okay, well, what does that look like per quarter? Like, what is our sales plan to make that happen? What is this launch going to look like? What is our content plan? Like all of those small pieces are what build up to the big plan. And that's how you feel that sense of momentum. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. I think that your version is way better. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think that should officially be adopted as the new, the new goal setting framework. So still kind of on the mindset and coaching vein, if you had to give current coaches, whether they're a fitness coach, a business coach, a life coach, any type of coach trying to help people, what would you say is like the low hanging fruit of adopting mindset or integrating mindset into their coaching principles? This is a big one. And there's a lot of different like little things that I pick up on that I'm like, that's not great as far as cultivating a growth mindset goes. It's tough because at the same time, I'm not saying that anyone out there who calls themselves a mindset coach is not doing great work and helping people either. You know, what I've noticed after having at this point, I think close to 300 coaches go through the certification is that a lot of times people will join the certification program and I'll check out their Instagram bios or whatever. And half of them already say that not half, but like a good amount of them will already say, Oh, I coach on mindset or I am a mindset coach, or I'm here to level up like your fitness, your body and your mindset type of thing. So it's like a lot of people already think that they're doing it. And what I've come to realize, I think, especially those who then elect to be in my program or who are there and open to learn and want to do more, like they're already doing stuff that I'm like, that's actually an evidence-based practice. Like that's actually going to be helpful. But like, now let's talk about how we can like augment that and kind of take it the next step further or make it even better or ensure that you are doing it in the best way possible type of thing. So it's not always that coaches are calling themselves mindset coaches, even though they have no formal training and just absolutely like screwing everybody up. <laughs> That's usually not the case. But what I do see a lot and things that coaches who go through my program struggle with is something called the writing reflex. So this is actually, it stems from motivational interviewing, but can be really helpful when it comes to cultivating a growth mindset and boosting self-efficacy, all of those good things. So this writing reflex is just like that instant desire to just want to provide the solution or provide suggestions or give people the answers, especially because our clients are coming to us because we are the experts. They know that we're the experts on fitness and nutrition. So when we have a client who says, you know, like, I'm really struggling with protein, like, I'm not really sure what I should be doing. I feel like I'm trying so hard and I still can't hit my numbers. The first thing we want to do is what? Give them a list 
of protein options, cottage cheese, Greek yogurt, like get some beef jerky, like grab some protein bars for your desk at work, etc. So that's the first thing we want to do. But a lot of times the first thing we should be doing is asking questions. So it's sort of like sit on your hands type of thing. Give it a second and ask a question first. And that could look like, okay, well, what are you currently doing? And why is that not working? Or on the days that you get close to hitting your protein goal, what are you doing on those days that works well? Or are there any types of protein that like you like have tried and you don't like? Or what are you currently using for your protein options? Because what can happen is if we just throw a list at them, number one, of course, they could just be like overwhelmed and be like, okay, well, what do I do with all of this? Or they could look at that and go, great, you forgot I was lactose intolerant and half of this stuff is dairy and then feel like super like unheard. Or like maybe they have tried a lot of those things on the list and they're still having a hard time hitting their goal just because their portion sizes aren't the right way or whatever it may be. There might be some other underlying thing. And instead of it being helpful, they just kind of feel like almost like condescending, right? Like I've tried all these things already. Thank you. Like, okay, yeah, I could have given myself a list of protein things too. That's not the problem, you know? I could have Googled protein sources. Exactly, like- exactly. But meanwhile, we're like, oh. Awesome. I feel like I just helped her so Problem much. solved. Yes, exactly, exactly. And so that is something that I see a lot. But asking those questions first and having our clients kind of try to come up with a solution themselves first and like really dig into like what is going on there, not only gives you more information as the coach to coach better and more like appropriately for this person, but also allows them to start to think of solutions themselves, which then builds autonomy, which can help build self-efficacy and confidence and voila, we have a growth mindset. So it can be just like taking that step back and thinking like, what questions can I ask first before providing a solution can make all of the difference. Yeah, I love that. And I think it also plays on the idea of like when people come up with their own answers or their own solutions, they're also just more likely to follow through with it and like actually take action because it was their idea. Yes. That's always like, it's like the sneaky strategy for coaching is like, how can I just make it, even if it was my idea, how do I make it seem like it was theirs? Cause they're going to adopt it as their own, you know? And a lot of times we're more likely to listen to ourselves than listen to other people. So yeah, it's kind of like a little bit of like secret sauce. (laughs) Yeah. That's so, so important. That's one of the biggest things I learned in like the different mindset programs that I've been in and like motivational interviewing. And instead of feeling like you have to have all the answers or feeling like you need to immediately have the solution to any problem your client could throw at you. It's like more about how can I empower the client to like create a solution for themselves and how can I guide them that way? It's not so prescriptive. Like coaching is not prescriptive. Yes. I say that all the time, you know, like stop prescribing and telling and ask more questions. Yes. Yeah. I absolutely love that. So beyond your expertise, I want to shift to just a couple kind of business and entrepreneurship questions because I also see you as an expert in that space. So beyond that, when I think of the business that you've built and like the following that you've built, I really think of you as somebody who like separates themselves from the noise and really sticks to their guns and does things differently. Like you don't just do what everyone else does because the standard. So is that an intentional thing for you or does that come naturally? Have you always been that way? I don't think I've ever 
really try to be like super different. I do understand obviously like basic business practices, like having some sort of unique thing or like practice or how you can set yourself apart from the crowd is very important. Obviously me having a PhD kind of already puts me in like a separate crowd. So that already sets me apart and that I just have that like higher level degree. So that does give me a little bit of like an edge, I think of uniqueness even, and obviously credibility, but I do think it was given to me to some degree, right? Of course, I worked for my PhD and I worked for is to have this level of expertise. But within the health and fitness space, it's like, what else would I be doing except for making mindset like a huge pillar and why we stand out at KJO coaching, which is the one on one coaching side of my business. That is like what makes us unique. And I see it all the time. And like all of the applications that come through, it's like, okay, well, why us? Like why work with us versus other coaches out there? And it's because you guys care about mental health or you guys care about mindset, or I know that I'm holding myself back and I really need to work on that and get a, a set of macros and be told to like go on my way. So that kind of like, I don't want to say it fell in my lap because I definitely obviously worked for my PhD, but it was like, there was no other option. Like I wasn't going to do health and fitness without mindset. So that was nice. It kind of like, it just played that way. And that's what I always wanted to do is be able to blend those worlds. And I do think that it probably does help me stick out to some degree that I not only am coaching people individually on their health and fitness and then have the coaches on my team as well that are trained by me. But I'm also in the space where I'm coaching other coaches too. I'm like the coaches coach as well. So I have the certification and have that sort of like credibility as well. So I don't know, to answer your question, I think maybe to some degree, of course, like I emphasize mindset. And I would hope that when people like come to my page and think about me that they the first thing they think about is like mindset. That's kind of like the goal here. But it was never like, oh, like, how do I make myself so different? Because it's what I'm passionate about. And I allowed that to be sort of like the main pillar of what I do. I think like really the takeaway for anyone is, okay, you don't need to have a PhD, but you do have to have your edge and it's probably related to what you're most passionate about or what you could talk about for like hours on end what you could nerd out about if you had to stand up and talk for an hour about something what would it be that's probably your edge and I think also combining it with your personality is kind of like the secret sauce I feel that you're a very and I can relate to this you're a very like straight forward kind of like no bullshit type of person and so combining that with being super evidence-based gives you a special je ne sais quoi <laughs> you know what I mean like, <laughs> like when I think of you I just think of no bullshit like education but also like very actionable and delivered in a personable way since I've kind of left the fitness space even though I'm very much in it because most of my clients are fitness coaches but since I left the obsession with learning about health and fitness stage of my life. I've unfollowed so many of the like Lane Nortons, but I love people like you who can take all that stuff and kind of distill it and help the general population approach it. So yeah, I think I, I like that takeaway of find your edge, whatever that might be. And it's probably related to your passion. Yeah, absolutely. I love that too. And I love that that's what you take away from me because it was my goal, even like first year of grad school is like, oh, what do you want to do? It's like, I don't know, maybe industry research, maybe I can be convinced to be a professor. I don't know. But what I really, really want to do is find a way to take the science of mindset and give it to like the layperson, right? And actually get it out there more than when it just like sits in a scientific journal and you hope that someone comes across it and like maybe makes a program out of it. So I knew that that's what I always wanted to do. Granted, I didn't think that a large majority of that would be like via Instagram posts, <laughs> but it worked out okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think Instagram has given us such a 
platform to just be able to express ourselves and build businesses and like it can look so many different ways so I love that it's been that for you like it's been the vehicle for you because I've experienced it the same way okay cool so I would say my last businessy question would be what advice do you have around coaches who aspire to have really successful impactful businesses but they're in their own way and they're experiencing mindset blocks around pursuing their business do you have any specific advice on the business side versus the health and fitness side Yeah. I mean, so much of it does overlap with anything, right? Is try to figure out, like identify where that fixed mindset is really showing up because it can feel just like friction or it can feel just like something is like there and I don't know what it is. And I don't know why I can't like get over this hump and just like freaking do it. I can feel like that. And it's hard to actually adjust for something like that when you're not fully understanding where it's coming from. So like identifying your triggers and like where that comes from. And I think working backwards, kind of similar to what we were talking about before, like where does your fixed mindset show up? Is that like the success of other people? You see someone else, maybe you look at Marie and you're like, God, she's been so successful and is doing all of this stuff and has like six figure launches and all of these things. And are you thinking to yourself, I could never do that. I'm not her. She got lucky or something like that. If that's what you're doing, hi, hello, that's your fixed mindset. Notice that, pay attention to that. Even if it's just like scrolling on Instagram and you see people and you just find yourself getting really jealous or like thinking to yourself that you're a different type of person than them. So when you notice those things, think about it, accept that you're having those thoughts and don't get upset with yourself, but think like, where's that coming from? What evidence do you have for those thoughts? And like, what evidence do you have against those thoughts? And like, between that, the evidence for and evidence against, and this is kind of like a little bit of like CBT, (laughs) these questions come to a stronger concluding thought that is more accurate and a better representation of reality. And once you have that thought, like, maybe like ruminate on that a little bit, write it down and see how that makes you feel differently. And it it will make a world of a difference. And you know, same what goes with like feedback. If you're one of Marie's clients and you're getting feedback on like your sales page copy or something like that. And you're like, God, I really suck at this. Like I will never be able to do well because every time there's so many edits and all of these things, instead of thinking that way, you can really start to sit in the moment and shift your mindset to thinking like, okay, this is, this feedback is good. This is how I'm going to get better. Like really pay attention to it. Don't just make the edits and walk away, like actively engage with it and figure out like, how do I get better with this? I'm going a little bit off tangent of like how you can maybe start to shift your mindset a little bit in the moments, but more or less just like paying attention to where those things come up and like seeing with like things like setbacks, like when something doesn't go so well in your business or you launch something and nobody signs up or like you had like 45 people unsubscribe from your email list after you sent something that you thought was like a little bit risque, but would be really good. You're like, oh crap, did I say something wrong? All of those things. And sometimes they aren't like to me, like that might not even be a setback. And Marie, I'm sure you teach this too. It's like those 45 people, they left and you don't want their business because they're not your person anyway. So that is more of like a growth mindset thought, right? It's like, okay, well, those aren't the type of people for me. So perfect. I cleaned up my email list a little bit, you know? So kind of just noticing where that stuff shows up first is so important because otherwise it will always just feel like resistance and keep getting in the way and you won't know where it's coming from. So you really have to identify those fixed mindset sort of thoughts and like things like situations that trigger those thoughts. All of that needs to kind of get sorted out first before you can then really start to in the moment you start shifting that perspective towards more growth and notice how that will kind of show up in your business as well. 
Yeah. I found that the more times I go through that process of what evidence do I have? Does it support the story I'm telling? What is the new thought that I'm choosing? Like the more times you do that, the faster you can identify and bounce back and choose the new thought until that becomes your new programming. But it's so normal to have to do that so many times. And I see a lot of people get like frustrated about it or they judge themselves like, God, I should be over this by now. Or like, why do I think this way? And then the judgment just adds another layer of of like struggle and resistance against it anyway. But just approaching it with like curiosity and repetition is what has made the biggest difference for me. Also therapy, obviously, but curiosity and repetition have been game changers once I've been able to identify like those fixed mindset spots. Mm -hmm. I love that. It's like the curiosity part is, you know, just get like a little bit more clinical with it, you know, see it for what it is and pick it apart and try to understand where it's coming from. Like no shame, you know, just let it be what it is and try to identify how it was triggered and why it's there. And then what can you do next time to maybe not let it be triggered or just kind of navigate that situation a little bit differently so it feels a little bit better and kind of getting and it know it can like way easier said than done, right? Like removing emotions from this stuff and just like getting clinical with it. Like, yeah, it takes time and therapy and things like that for sure. But I do think there is to some degree, like you were saying, like repetition, just like it's a little bit of like exposure therapy over time. Like the more you just like get comfortable with the uncomfortable stuff, the better you're going to be every time it comes up. It's like, all right, here we go. Like strap in, we're doing this again type of thing rather than crap, what is wrong with me? Like, why do I keep doing this to myself? All of the difference. I feel like we could keep jamming on this like infinitely, but I do want to wrap up with the signature question because this is the Grind and Be Grateful podcast. I always ask my guests, what is one thing that you're currently grinding for, working really hard toward, and what is one thing that you are hugely grateful for right now? Oh, what if they're the same thing? (laughs) That's okay. They don't have to be different. I think right now, as far as grinding goes, I am wrapping up my certification right now, at least the spring cohort. So we have all of final assessments coming through and the final assessment requires like a voice memo and a written component and then grading and providing feedback on that. I do have people helping me this time. Last time I had to grade all 105 by myself, which was rough and I learned that lesson. But so grinding a little bit right now to get all of those things wrapped up, ducks in a row, get folks set up for the alumni group and all of those things. And then also prepare for the next launch, which will be at the end of September. So that's kind of where the grind mostly is. I'm also (laughs) casually writing a book and that's a little bit of a grind (laughs) as well. Kind of just in like the proposal writing stage right now. So it's nothing like I'm sitting down for 90 minutes every day and like crushing like 500 words or anything like that. But it is a little bit of a grind regardless, especially with kind of like going back and forth with the gal who's helping me write the proposal and make those edits and accepting the constructive criticism and making adjustments and all that good stuff. So I am grateful. This is where I was like, can it be the same thing as I'm grateful for the grind? <laughs> like I really am. I'm so grateful that like I made this decision and like that this is like what I get to grind towards and that they are my passions and my dreams. And it gives me a space where I get off these calls with the uh, health mindset coaching certification people. And I'm like, I just love this stuff. Like this is where I'm meant to be. I'm not like huge, like into the woo woo side of things, but I I find myself over there every once in a while. (laughs) And I like just visiting. And that's where I I just feel so aligned with what I'm doing when it comes to the certification. And it's amazing to me that this is also like how I get to make my money. It's the coolest thing ever. And I'm so, so grateful for it. 
Yeah, I feel that a thousand percent. Like, and I have those moments like pretty much every day where I'm like, this is my life. It's like that TikTok trend right now where it's <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. oh Lord. When, when you realize that like you have everything you ever dreamed of and yeah. it's like, oh Lord, <laughs> I need to do that soon. My house just isn't clean enough yet, but it's coming. <laughs> Give me a day to clean my house. It's coming. But I have loved this conversation and I'm sure our listeners have too. So where can they creep on you? Where can they find your programs, your certification? Just Tell us all the things. Yes. Yes. So I spend the majority of my time on Instagram. I'm Coach Casey Joe there. I have tried to do the TikTok thing. Every once in a while, I'll repurpose a reel and throw it up there. Now, it's amazing to me, though. I will not touch that app for three months and come in and it's like, oh, you have 300 new followers. I'm like, it's amazing. <laughs> It's so funny. So I'm Coach Casey Joe there as well. If you are interested in the certification or any of my other programs or offerings or courses, you can find all of that at kjocoaching.com. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of it. Perfect. Thank you so, so much, Casey. Everyone go show her some love and thank her for her time and expertise and all of the wisdom she just dropped on us today. 